Okay, God's two love promises. Now, God made two basic foundational promises in the Old Testament, and virtually every other promise in the Word of God can be summed up in these two promises. Number one, he promised to send a Messiah, and it's through that promise now that we have the only avenue for receiving eternal life forever through this one. Okay, number two promise, he promised the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the only avenue for receiving the power now to operate in this life. So he gave us a number one promise for the life to come, and then he gave us a promise for living a victorious life in this world. So every other promise is going to have its fulfillment now in one of these two promises. So today, what I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be looking at the fulfillment of these two. And I want us to take the number one promise first, the promise of the Messiah. We have it basically in one scripture, in John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Okay, why was man perishing? Why did we need a savior? A lot of people don't know that. A lot, a lot of people don't know why this first promise is so important. Well, it's been said that the gospel should be presented with good news, then bad news, and then good news again. And so that's why I'm gonna give it to you tonight. Well, if we can understand that, we're gonna have a very good grasp of the gospel, and we're gonna find why it's so necessary. Now, the good news, when God created man uh, in Genesis, he breathed on him the breath of life, and man became a living soul, and he was created in the image of God. Okay, God looked, and he didn't just say, this is good. He said, this is very good when he finished and when he created man. Now, man was without sin. God had planted him in the center of the garden, gave him everything that he could ever possibly want, even gave him the tree of life. And then God walked and talked every day. You know, you'll find that in Genesis, that they walked and talked and had fellowship. So this was all good news. And man was, it was so good. Uh, you know, they, there was absolutely nothing else that man could have possibly wanted. But the bad news is that after God had warned man not to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, man finally came to a place where he disobeyed. But it wasn't just a matter that he uh, came to a place where uh, he just needed to repent and uh, be forgiven. No, it was a lot more than that. It was so much more complicated because God had warned man that if he partook now of that tree, he was going to die. And so when he partook of that tree, he died. And the spirit of man literally died at that point. Now, you've had enough teaching to know that man is a triune being. In other words, the man is in three parts. He's a, a spiritual being. He has a soul. In other words, he has a mind, a will, and emotions. And he lives in an earth suit. He lives in a body which allows him to function in this world. But the real person is the spirit. The real you and the real me, it's our spirit being. But man's spirit had become dead when he sinned. And instead of operating out of the spirit as he had before, now he was having to operate just out of his mind. He had to think things out. He was having to operate out of his will and out of his emotions. That all took precedence then. Man's genealogy had changed and no longer was he a child of God. Okay, from that point, he was doomed absolutely to eternity in hell. He was separated eternally from God. And Romans 5 verse 12 says, Just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, man was in trouble. 
The situation was a lot more serious than people could ever possibly have imagined. I want to read that verse 12 again because I want you to hear what it's saying. It says, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through that sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, man was in trouble. He was in big trouble. He had a death penalty hanging over his head that had to be paid because the wages of sin is death and the penalty for sin is death. And the Bible teaches that from beginning to end. You know, we used to sing a song uh, when I was growing up that said, uh, man owed a debt that he could not pay. That's exactly what happened. After man sinned and uh, his spirit man died, he owed a debt and there was no way he could pay it. And so he was doomed with no way out. There was no hope in and of himself. But I want you to remember that I said it was good news, bad news, and then good news again. And the good news again is that God in his love, he sent forth a promise that he was going to send a Messiah and he was going to send a deliverer. And it was prophesied by the people hundreds of years in advance. So it wasn't something that just came up all of a sudden. God had been prophesying this all along. Now the promise of the Messiah was that God's only son was going to come now in the form of man and he was going to be tempted in every way in which we've been tempted, but he was going to do it without sin. Now, it's not that he couldn't have sinned. He could have because the temptations were real. Every temptation that Jesus went through was as real as any man on earth has ever been through. But when he lived out his life without falling for the temptation, he never got into the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life. And when he did that, that qualified him to go to the cross to take the punishment in our place or to take the consequences of sin for us. Now, verse 8, God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, to me, I, I would think about it that when man had everything, it was wonderful, and he chose to sin. He chose to walk away from it. It's amazing to me that God had so much love for us that his son said, that's okay. I, I, I love man so much, I'm going to come and I'm going to take the punishment. Now, what Christ did was an unbelievable demonstration of God's love. There's no way that anybody could doubt God's love when, when we realize what Christ went through. Now, our mind cannot even conceive of that kind of love for him to go through what he was going to have to go through to, to buy us back, to take our sin. Now, my mind cannot even comprehend someone who would love us in, with that kind of love. I can't even imagine that kind of love to take on himself everything that we deserved. Now, I'm going to read Isaiah 53, verse 5, out of the Amplified Bible. Now, this is a prophecy of what was going to happen. It says he, it's talking about Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquity. That's what happened to him when he came to take the sin for us, to take the, the punishment for us. And he said the punishment needed for us to obtain peace and well-being was placed on him. And with the stripes of his back that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. He took the stripes for us, and uh, the Bible tells us that his back was literally just laid wide open. And then it goes on to say, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to go our own way, which we did. Every man went his own way. And the Lord made to fall on him, on Jesus, all of our guilt and all of our iniquity. And we, we were supposed to have been punished. That was our punishment that he took on his back. Now, this promise was written hundreds of years before it happened. 
Isaiah prophesied so very clearly what was going to take place hundreds of years before it happened, before the cross experience. And he told us just exactly what was going to happen to our sins and what would happen to the Messiah. Okay, I'm going to read it one more time because it's so important. I really want you to get it. It said, Jesus, he, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt. And he was bruised for our, our iniquities. And the punishment needful for us to obtain peace and well-being was laid upon him. And with the stripes on his back that wounded him, it gave us healing and it gave us health. He was completely, he took it all on him on himself. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord made the sin to fall and the guilt and the trans tranquility to fall on him. And remember, this promise was written hundreds of years in advance. Okay, I want you to notice that prophecy said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Have you ever seen a herd of sheep uh, out there in the field and suddenly one sheep will decide to take off and he'll run in another direction. And when that happens, the whole herd will go in every direction. It's total chaos. Okay, that's exactly what happened to man. Man was just like, a, it was like a big herd of sheep and they all were going in their own direction. No one, really no one was following God. Even when Noah built the, uh, the ship, there was no one else. There was not one other person that could be found to go with him. And so man had gone in their own way, and it certainly wasn't God's way. But instead of making us pay for all of our sins, what he did, he caused the consequences of those sins, the guilt, the iniquity, on all of us, he had it fall on Jesus to bear for us. I can't even imagine that kind of love. I mean, when, when you think about that, uh, you know, I, I can't even imagine loving us that much to take what he did. Now, someone had to pay the consequences, and Jesus chose to do it for us simply because he loved us that much. It's hard for us to even conceive of that kind of love. And the only way to buy us back was to allow all that sin and all the consequences to land on him. The sin, the guilt, the iniquity to all fall on him. In Isaiah 52 verse 14, it vividly lets us know what took place when the sin and the guilt and the punishment fell on him. In verse 14, I'm going to be reading out of the Amplified. It says, for many, the servant, talking about Jesus, at the crucifixion became an object of horror talking about when he was on the cross. Many were astonished. His face and his whole appearance were marred more than any man. I want you to think about that. I mean, it, it's, it's, the Bible is literal, and it says that he was marred more than any man when he went on the cross, and his form was beyond uh, that of the sons of any man. Okay, I want you to stop and think about, uh, you've seen people who maybe they've had a bad accident or something, and they're really marred, they're really messed up. Well, when Jesus took the sins of the world, it says that he was marred more than any man had ever been marred. Okay, now, when Christ bore our sins, what did that do? You know, wh what was it that that accomplished for us? Well, in John 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, received what he did for us, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. I want you to think about that. You know, as many as would just receive him, Jesus did this so that any of us that would accept what he did then could have eternal life with him. He gave us the right to once again become a child of God because man gave it away. 
but he gave us that right to once again have it again. But it's not an automatic thing. Okay, how do we receive the promise? Well, in John chapter 3, that was a question that was asked by Nicodemus 2,000 years ago. And the answer is still the same today. Thank God he gave us that answer. Now, there was a man in John 3 verse 1. He was of the Pharisees. His name was Nicodemus, and he was ruler of the Jews. Now, Nicodemus was probably a member of the Sanhedrin. He was very high up. He was a Pharisee. He was a very religious man. And, oh, my, he would have been one that they would have almost bowed to because he, he was so high in the community. And yet he's going to find out that with all of his religious background, there was absolutely no way for him to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So I'm sure that that was quite a shock to him when he found that out. So Nicodemus went to Jesus by night. He must have had a lot of questions going on. Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you had to have come from God because no one could do all the things that you do. No one could perform all these signs that you do unless God was with him. And the answer Jesus gave him is probably one of the most important verses in our Bible. So you need to mark it in your Bible. It's John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus and he said to him, Truly I say to you, unless you're born again, you're not going to even be able to see the kingdom of God unless you have a new birth. Okay, now that word see simply means to be aware of the kingdom of God. He said you're not even going to be aware of the kingdom of God. You're not even going to be able to understand the kingdom of God. You're not even going to be able to know it exists you know, with what you have. You've got, you've got to know it by the Spirit of God. Unless a person is born again, he said, you just won't know. You won't know these things. And then in verse 4, Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again when he's old? You know, can't you imagine when he's asking these questions and, uh, you know, Jesus is giving him answers and he's saying, you know, this is not making any sense. How can a man be born again when he's old? He can't enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. In other words, unless one is born as a child, that's referring to the water birth, and the Spirit, he cannot even enter into the kingdom of God. Every man has to have a natural birth, and every man has to have a spiritual birth in order to be able to be fit for heaven. Then Jesus began to talk in spiritual terms to Nicodemus. He started really answering his questions. And in verse 6, he said, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. He said, you know, just in the normal, what's out there that's born of the flesh is just flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And verse 7, So do not marvel that I said you must be born again. In other words, he was saying you must have another birth other than your natural birth, or you'll never make it into heaven. You'll never make it into the kingdom of God. You have to be born again in a second birth into the kingdom of God to become God's child, to be able to live eternally with him. And when Jesus said, do not marvel, he was saying, you're going to have to hear me with spiritual ears. You're not going to understand this with your normal ears. And so he was telling Nicodemus, don't try to listen to me and, and just listen with normal ears. He said, I want you to hear with spiritual ears, hear by the Spirit of God. And so he said, don't stand back and be bewildered. Now, verses 8 through 12, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't even know where it comes from, and you don't even know where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay, Nicodemus answered, well, how can these things be? 
You know, I can imagine he's realizing that Jesus is telling him truth and he's standing there thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not understanding what he's saying. You know, how, how can all these things be? And Jesus answered him. He said, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Nicodemus was a teacher. And he said, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we've seen and you do not receive our witness. He said, all of you Pharisees, you're not even, you're not even trying to, to hear what, I'm, what I've come to tell you. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how should you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He said, you're, you're not even believing me when I'm telling you earthly things. So how on earth are you going to believe me when I'm trying to tell you spiritual things? So Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, if you do not understand when I'm out preaching and telling you those things, then you're going to have to hear with spiritual ears if you get this. Now, Jesus was telling Nicodemus, I'm going to be talking to you about heavenly things, so you're going to have to hear me with spiritual ears. And that's exactly what he's telling us today. If we're going to understand the Word of God and, under, and for people to understand how to be born again, they're going to have to hear with spiritual ears. They'll never be able to totally understand it with their mind. Now, once we hear it with spiritual ears, then our mind is opened up to understand it, but we can't hear it that way first. And in verse 13, it says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. He was talking about uh, himself, even the son of man, Jesus. And in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man, he's talking about himself, be lifted up on the cross. Okay, now this is a really important scripture. And you know, a lot of people, they read that about the serpent on the cross, on the pole in the Old Testament. But we need to realize that everything that was told to us back there is very significant. Everything in the Old Testament is a type and shadow now of things to come under the new covenant. Now, if you'll remember when the children of Israel were coming through the wilderness, you know, they were being bitten by snakes and they were dying like flies. So Moses started praying to God and he said, what do we do? The people are dying like flies. And so God said, make a bronze image of a snake, put it up on a pole and put it high enough where everybody can see it. And when they look up and see, look at that snake, they'll be healed. Well, I used to read that and I thought, what on earth is this talking about? Moses did exactly what he was told and they were healed. And then God began to reveal what this was about. Now, this is a type and shadow, or this is a picture of what would happen now to the Messiah. Jesus was put on a pole, a cross, and lifted up. And when that happened, he took our sin on himself. Just like the snake in Moses' day represented, you know, their sinful nature. We're going to see that Jesus took on himself our sin when he was lifted up. And 1 Corinthians said that he became sin for us when he went on to the cross. Now, the significance is very obvious. Now, just as they had to look up at that snake on the Old Testament to be healed back then, we now have to look to Jesus who took our sin and the evil on himself on the cross. In other words, he became sin for us on the cross. He literally, it, it was like exactly what happened, what he demonstrated in the Old Testament. He became sin for us. And that snake in the Old Testament represented the sin that Jesus took on the cross. And looking to his sacrifice and that transfer of our sins that where it was all put on him, that is 
our way of realizing that we can be saved, we can be healed, and it's only through what Christ did on the cross. There is no other way. Now, in John chapter 3, verse 14, it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15, that whoever believes and accepts Jesus as their personal Savior from their sins will in him have eternal life. And he said, there's no other way. can't happen any other way. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believed in him, whoever believed that he bore our sins on his own body and received him as their own personal Savior, as their substitute, he said, that's the only one who now is going to have eternal life and not perish in hell. But he said, anyone who doesn't receive the way that God gave it will literally perish in hell. But he will, if he does it this way, God's way, he'll have eternal life with Jesus. And then verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. You know, a lot of people think, well, Jesus came and he was judging. No, he didn't come into the world to judge the world. He came into the world because he knew there was no other way for us. There was no hope for us. And he came that the world would be saved through him and through what he did on the cross. So Jesus was saying to all of us, he was saying through Nicodemus, you know, no one can come to the Father. No one can gain entrance into heaven except by the new birth experience. He said, that's the only way. There's no other way. Now, God created this world and He's the one, he, he would know if there was any other way. And he makes it very clear in the word of God, there is no other way to get into heaven except through what Christ did. Now, Jesus was very plainly telling us, there's no other way to make it into heaven except through believing in me and accepting what I did for you on the cross. Now, Christianity is not a formula. Christianity is a relationship with the Father. But there are formulas listed in the word of God. There's a formula for being born again. Romans 10, 9 and 10, you need to mark that in your Bible, you know, because that is the formula that God gives. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in, the, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he said, then you'll be saved. For with the heart, that's how man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he has to confess Jesus as his Lord, and that will result in salvation. A ticket to heaven. Okay, verse 11, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. I loved when I found that scripture. It's all through the word of God. God continually says, whoever believes in him, you'll not be disappointed. Okay, now too often people try to achieve one of God's promises by doing it their own way. Man has come up with a thousand different ways. You can hear people preaching all the time, and they give you their own description of how people can be saved. You know, if you're good enough, if you do this, if you do that. But God laid it out, and he said, my way is the only way. Even though the world is giving you a hundred different ways, a hundred different things that they've come up with. But God's promises and gives us the way, and rather than searching the word, and finding God's way to salvation, so many people try to figure it out themselves rather than just stopping and just saying, okay, God created this world and he told us the only way to make it to heaven, so I'm just going to believe God. But so many people don't do that. God has made it so simple for us, and yet man has to come up with his own way. Now Romans 10, verse 8, says the word of God is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. So he gives us this formula over and over through the word of God. 
The word of God is so near you. It's so easy. He said, I've made it so easy. It's in your mouth. You say it with your mouth and you believe it in your heart. So the word of God has to be in two places that God said it that way. And we can't improve on what God tells us. We can't improve on what the Bible says. We have to do it his way. So Romans 10, 9 and 10 gives us the formula. The moment that someone believes in his heart that Jesus is the son of God and believes that God raised him from the dead and the moment he confesses it with his mouth, they can't just think it. It's not something you say, oh yeah, I, I believe that. And he just thinks it. No, he has to confess it with his mouth that Jesus is his Lord. Jesus, you're my Lord. Then a miracle literally takes place and the Holy Spirit then overshadows that person. And just as the Holy Spirit planted Jesus into the womb of Mary, in the same way, the Holy Spirit will overshadow the one who confesses and believes it the way he put, put it in the word and will plant within that person a brand new mm -hmm. spirit. We can't understand that with our mind. But God said it and we believe it with our heart. And the Bible says when we do, we become a temple where the Holy Spirit can come to dwell. Okay, now, this is so important, and a lot of people don't even read that. They don't even think about it. But our spirit man can't be healed. It can't be renewed. Our spirit man has to be reborn. When man sinned, our, the spirit man died. It literally died. And so it, it can't just be healed. We can't just be good enough. Every person's spirit man has to be reborn. It has to become new. It has to become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that is the new birth experience. Now in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says if a man is in Christ, then he becomes a new creature. If he's not in Christ, then he's still the dead person that was back after Adam sinned in the garden. So man is not just healed, he has to become a new creation. The Bible says old things then become passed away and all things become new. In other words, our old sin nature has to be totally, completely removed, taken out of us. All things then become new when we receive Jesus in a born-again experience. Now, miraculously, at that moment, we became born of the Spirit, and the Spirit man is literally birthed on the inside of us when we receive Jesus. Now, just like Jesus was telling Nicodemus in John 3, verse 5, he said, you have to be born again. Simple as that. He said, there's no other way. We become born again from death to life when we accept exactly why Jesus tells us to do it. Now, I love how Paul states it in Colossians 1 verse 13. He said, you have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light when you accept Jesus. When a person accepts Jesus and gets born again, literally, it's something supernatural that happens. You're just translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. We don't understand that with our natural mind, but the Bible says it, and as we believe it, it's like it bears witness in your spirit. Okay, now I call this Bible study the two love promises. At this point, you have just received the first promise, the first love promise. And receiving this first promise now is the prerequisite for receiving the second love promise. Okay, now remember the first promise brings the life of God into us where we become born again. The second promise releases that life and that power out of us to get other people saved. So the first, the, the first promise is to get us 
where we can go to heaven. The second is to release it out so we can get other people into heaven. Now, this is demonstrated very graphically in the life of the apostles. In John 20, verse 19, this is the example of someone receiving both promises. And we're going to go step by step and see exactly now what took place. Now, I'm going into this explanation a little more thoroughly because I want you to have it inside of you so you can explain to others how to get saved. You need to know this. This needs to be in you because that's what he wants us to do. It gets people saved, get them into the kingdom. Now, in John 20, verse 19 and 20, this is the first time that Jesus has appeared to the group after his resurrection. And he proves to them by the marks on his body. He shows the nail prints in his hand, and he proves to him that he was the one who was crucified and that had God had indeed raised him from the dead. Now, they had already confessed, Thou art the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. But when they see these nail prints in his hands, then they, all of a sudden they believe it in their heart, and the Bible says that they begin to rejoice then when they see the Lord. And they realize, oh, you know, I believed it, but it's, it's really there. Now, they have confessed with their mouths and believed in their heart that Jesus is the Christ and that God did indeed raise him from the dead. And in John 20, verse 22, it says that Jesus then breathed on those disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we kind of read past that and we don't pay that much attention to it a lot of times. But that is so important to realize that Jesus literally breathed on these disciples so that they could receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit made his entry into their spirits, then all of a sudden they became born again, just like Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus back there in John 3, verse 3, when he said, you've got to be born again. Got to happen, you know. Now, the Holy Spirit literally comes on the inside of us and makes us a new creation. And at that point, we're born again, and we receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, there is one way and one way only whereby a man or a woman can be born again. There's no other way. You can read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation from beginning to end, and it, it never gives you another way to be saved except through accepting what Christ did on the cross, taking our sin on his own body so that we're not eternally ruined. And he takes our sin on his own body, and then he willfully and lovingly offers us salvation if we just believe him, if we just accept him. Being born to two wonderful Christian parents is not going to make a person a Christian. A lot of people think if they're born in a Christian home, you know, that they're saved. No. But in other religions, you can be in, in, born in the home, and you'll automatically be a part of their religion. In other words, I've known some Muslim, and if they're born into a Muslim home, they consider that they're automatically a Muslim. But that's not so with Christianity. Every relationship with Christ is personal. I can't get saved for somebody else. I can't get saved for my children. I can't get into heaven based on my mother or my father's personal salvation. It's an individual thing for each person. A person has to be born into Jesus spiritually by an individual choice, by choosing individually. Every person has to do it for himself. Each person has to receive Jesus by believing in their heart that Jesus took their sins and confessing with their mouth that he is my Lord. Lord, I don't have another, I don't have another way. There's no plan B. You're, you're the only way. I've, I've seen it in your word, Lord. It tells me over and over in your word, and I receive it. And that's 
As simple as, as that is, that's all God requires out of us. A person can attend church every time the doors are open, but we're going to find out that church attendance does not make anybody a Christian. Teaching the Bible doesn't make somebody a Christian. You know, I could accurately teach the Bible class every week, and I could have people come to the Lord and get born again under my teaching, and that's not going to save me. I have to have my own personal acceptance of Christ. I can faithfully obey all the Ten Commandments, and that's not going to make me a Christian. I, I think what distresses me more than anything else is that I know there are many, many people, they're doing a lot of good things. I, I see people who are constantly doing good things, they're doing right things, and they think they're saved because they think they're living a good life, but that's not enough. The Bible says if they have never done the one thing that causes them to be born again, if they've never accepted what Christ did for them on the cross, then nothing, no good things that they're doing is going to work out. Now, Jesus lined it out very specifically when he says, there is no other way to get to the Father, he said, except through receiving me. I mean, how much more clearly could he have said it? There is no way to get to the Father except through receiving what I've done on the cross. Now, Acts 4, verse 12, you need to mark this in your Bible. There, it says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name except Jesus given under heaven by men whereby we might be saved. I mean, that says it so clearly. There is salvation in no one else, it says. For there is no other name given under heaven except Jesus are given among men by which we can be saved. I think it's interesting that Jesus was in a flesh and bones body back then, when he was on earth. So after the resurrection, when they had confessed him as Lord out loud and believed with their heart he had been raised from the dead, he came into the physical and he breathed the Holy Spirit into their spirit. And God's spirit caused them to become a brand new creature in Christ. Okay, he's not in the flesh on the earth with us now. But the moment that we openly confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, just as surely as he came to them in the physical and breathed on them back then, in the same way he comes to us and he breathes into us the Holy Spirit. And verse 22 says, we are now then born again. Now, the disciples have received the first promise and they're ready for the second promise. You know, they, they have fulfilled all the requirements. And Acts 1 verse 3 says, remember we said that the Holy Spirit made two love promises. Okay, this is important. Two love promises. And the first was for us to receive the Messiah. And then we're in a position now to receive the second promise. We don't receive the second promise until we've accepted Jesus. In Acts 1 verse 3, after the resurrection, then it says that Jesus presented himself alive by many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and told them all kinds of things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, the first time Jesus appeared to them, they became born again when he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. Well, after that, he stayed with them for that 40 days, and he was teaching them about the kingdom of God. And people back then, if they weren't born again, they could talk about the kingdom of God, and they didn't even understand what was being said. But after he breathed on them and they received him, then he prepared them for the task that was before them. He was preparing them. Acts 1, 4, and 5, it says, Then he gathered them together 
and he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but he said, wait for what the Father has promised, which he said, you will hear about it from me. Okay, now he, they've accepted Christ. They've believed in their heart. They've confessed with their mouth. But now he's telling them, don't leave Jerusalem. I've got something else for you. For he said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, I said there were two love promises. The first one was receiving Christ into our heart so that we can go to heaven. And the second one now is to receive the, the ministry that he has for each one of us. Now, there are three key words. You need to circle them. It says he commanded them not to leave. Okay, that's one key word. He didn't suggest that they wait for the Holy Spirit. He commanded that they wait because he knew they were going to need that in order to, to be the witness they needed to be. Okay, the second key word was he said, wait. Okay, what was he telling them to wait for? He was commanding them to wait for the promise. Okay, now the promise that it's talking about is that he would send the Messiah, the, the, the first promise, and that he would offer the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the second love promise. So that, that was what he was saying to, to these early disciples. He said, wait for it. Now, anytime you see in the New Testament where it says the promise of the Father or the promise of the Spirit, it's always talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he makes it very clear in verse 5 what the promise is. He said, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, he's getting ready to release that life, that power now into these disciples. They've accepted him as their savior. And now he's going to release inside of them this power so that they can be a witness. They were going to receive that on the inside. Okay, now Jesus was getting ready to release the power. Where they had accepted Jesus inside and they were born again, now they're going to receive on the outside the power of the Holy Spirit so that they can be a witness. And that's why he said to wait for it. He said, wait for the power. Okay, that's the next key word. Okay, verse 8. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Okay, so he was having them to wait for that power. They've received him in, in their heart. Now they need the power to be able to spread him to the world. Now, just having the new birth is sufficient for us to go to heaven, you know. And some people, that's all they get. They accept Jesus as their Savior, and they're going to end up in heaven. God doesn't want us to stop there. There's two love promises. And after a person has received the first promise, they need nothing else to get them into heaven. I mean, that's, that's a done deal. But it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit now that's going to cause that life that we receive on the inside when we accept Jesus, it's going to cause that life then to be turned into the power we need to live victoriously outside in the world. So we need both. We've got to have what we on the inside so we can get to heaven. We need then the, this power that's going to cause us then to be able to export it to the world and to help other Christians learn the secret of victorious living. Now, do you feel that you have a lack of power in your life? A lot of people feel that way. Well, I know there's times when we get weary from worries and cares. Sometimes we have, we temporarily feel, you know, that we just have a lack of power. Well, I'm not talking about getting weary and tired at times because that's going to happen to everybody. That's when we have to get ourselves back into the Word and get ourselves back into our prayer time and get built up. 
but I'm talking about where there's a constant state of feeling a lack of power. And if you're feeling that constant state, then it's usually one of two things. It's either because you've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or else you don't fully realize that you have it and you're not using it. You're not using his presence. And so the Holy Spirit is a person. And it was years before I consciously realized that he was a real person and he wanted to guide me every moment of the day and night to do his will, to be his partner, to put the gospel out to the world. And he desires to be closer to us than our closest friend. He wants to be the best friend you've ever had. And that's why Jesus said, I go to the Father so that the Holy Spirit can come. And he said, the Holy Spirit will be another one the same as me. Sometimes we forget about that. But when he sent the Holy Spirit, it was going to be another person the same as Jesus was. Uh, he's another person like Jesus. Now, I've often thought how wonderful it would be to have been able to walk in fellowship with Jesus those three years when he was on earth. You know, and I've often thought, you know, what an experience that would have been. But they really didn't have it any more special than what we have. See, we have one just like Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, to walk and fellowship with us every moment of every day and night. Do you realize you are never alone? When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or when you receive Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit with you. And when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that means then the Holy Spirit that's within you, you can put it out and bring the world to him. That's what he's waiting for. He's on the inside, and when we're baptized into the person called the Holy Spirit, and when we actually realize who it is that we have living on the inside of us, then that spiritual power begins to manifest in our life. And we don't have to have that second baptism, but boy, that's when we become really important in the kingdom of God. Okay, now what does the word baptism mean? I looked it up in the Greek, and it means immersion, to be completely covered inside and out. Now the same Holy Spirit that Jesus breathed into them in John 20 when they were born again, the same Holy Spirit at baptism now is to flow out of us like rivers of living water. We're to be immersed now in that power of love. And love is powerful. You know, we don't think about that sometimes. But the baptism is a, is a love power. And it is a gross error when somebody says, if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. No, no, that's not the truth. You'll hear people say, you know, when I got the Holy Spirit, referring to the time when they were baptized. But listen, they got the Holy Spirit when they got born again. When a person gets born again, he can't get born again without the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is just simply being immersed now in that power. Just being like baptized into that power. And God wants us to be covered over in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to be wall-to-wall -wall Holy Spirit on the inside. And so that there is just an overflow that comes out of us any time that we see someone who needs the Lord or needs someone who just needs a, a kind word. We're the Jesus walking in the flesh, putting his love and his concern and, and his word out to everyone that he sends us to. Okay, now I want you to hear me at this because at the new birth, the Holy Spirit comes on the inside and makes us a new creation. But at the baptism now of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit covers us on the outside. You know, one takes place on the inside when we get saved. The other takes place on the outside when we give it to the world. 
Now Luke 24, 49, behold, he said, I'm sending forth the promise of my father upon you. But he said, I want you to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So Jesus is referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a clothing. And that's how we need to think about it. He says, wait until you're clothed with power. And notice that he says, I'm sending forth the promise of my father. There again, it's being referred to as the promise. God promises us uh, the precious baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's a promise from God. He said, stay until you get this baptism. In other words, when the power on the inside flows out, it's going to clothe you on the outside. Sometimes we don't think about the fact that, that we are clothed with the, literally with the Spirit of God himself. Example, we have Spanish wrought iron furniture, and it has a lot of metal curls, cues, and everything, and I used to try to paint it, and no matter how hard I tried, I'd turn it upside down and paint it front and back. I, I would miss places, and I'd see where I missed with paint. And so finally, Jack tried to spray it with a spray gun, and he still missed places. So the next time that we were in Mexico, I decided to find out how it was that they could paint that and not miss any spots. It was totally painted. So I asked them about that, and they took me around, and they showed me that they had a vat, a big vat that was filled with paint. And what they would do, they would take those, those pieces of furniture, metal furniture, and stick it down in the vat, and when they pulled it out, then it was totally covered inside and out. You know, it didn't miss any places. And the Lord just spoke to me and he said, okay, that's what the baptism is. He said he dips us into his spirit. He emerges us, uh, submerges us in his Holy Spirit. And when we do, we're covered, literally. We're already covered on the inside by having Jesus in our heart. And then we're covered on the outside so we can be a witness to the world. And there are a lot of people, you know, they, they get saved and they think it's over with. You know, they're ready to go home. Listen. We just start once we ask Jesus into our heart. That's the starting place then to be the witness that God's called us to be. And we have, we'll, everyone, we're going to give an account in heaven someday of how we took the Holy Spirit that was on the inside and allowed God to not just have him stay on the inside, but come in on the outside where everywhere we go, People would see us, know what we had. Some of you, I'm sure, have had people walk up to you and ask you questions about the Lord because they can see it on you, you know. Where you're baptized, they can see something about you that they know is different from the world. And so what I'm wanting with all my heart, I want us to come to a place where we have a group that they're not just filled with the Spirit where one day they're going to go to heaven, but they're going to let the, the Holy Spirit that's inside of them absolutely take an army to heaven with them. They're going to get the message out and they're, go, they're, they're not going to go by themselves. You know, when they stand in front of the throne of God and give an account, they're going to say, here's the crowd that I've brought with me because of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of me. And so Father, that's what we want. We don't want, we, we want to go to heaven and be with you eternally. But Father, we want, don't want to go alone. When we stand at the judgment seat, there's going to be a judgment seat and we're going to stand and give an account how many people we save and get them into heaven, that has nothing to do with our salvation. When we've asked Jesus into our heart, we're going to go to heaven. But Father, we don't want to go and, and have no rewards. We want to be able to stand before you and say, Lord, I let the baptism of the Holy Spirit come up and flow out of me and become a covering, become a clothing on the outside. 
so that when, when people were close to me, I could let them, I could tell them about Jesus. I could lead them to the Lord because that's our gift that we give back to you. Father, you've so good to us. And so when we stand before you, the gift we give back is saying, oh Lord, I let your baptism of the Holy Spirit overflow and bring others into the kingdom with me. Father, I thank you for that. Lord, you're so good. You've made it so easy. You could have just left us alone and, and left us in our sin. And you said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you everything you need. I'm giving you everything you need. Just come and receive. That's all you, that's all you want to do is just give to us everything that you have for, available for us so that we can be a true witness for you in these end days. I thank you for this group, Father. I thank you, Lord. I see them so excited and, and so willing, Father, to bring others into the kingdom. And that's all that matters, Lord. That's really all that matters is for us to do your work on this earth. We, that's why we're here. And so, Father, we just say, Lord, here we are. Use us in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>